Welcome to Mint, the podcast dedicated to making spiritual things practical. My name is Aminta Geisler, and I'm excited to spend the next few minutes with you talking about God's Word and applying it to real-life situations. The goal of this podcast is to inspire you and equip you to run the race of faith well, one practical step at a time. Because just like a weight is useless if a person doesn't pick it up and do the workout, so faith will be useless if a person doesn't do the work of putting their spiritual knowledge into action. Together, let's go beyond learning into implementing, one practical step at a time, and let's grow stronger in our faith. At the Mint Podcast, we are all about taking practical steps forward in our faith together and turning our knowledge into action. So today we're going to address something that can literally stop us in our tracks and render us incapacitated or isolated or even ineffective. This is a game played by the enemy to shut us down and stop us from walking forward in faith. Therefore, we need to acknowledge it and take care of it. What is this game? Well, I'm talking about the game of two C's, comparison and the inner critic. If Satan can get us to engage in these two activities, He can cripple us spiritually and prevent us from making a difference, so he must be stopped. Amen? I don't know about you, but the voice in my head is often the most negative voice I hear. I have supportive family and friends, but for some reason my inner self is always trying to get me to think that I don't measure up or that I should be doing something better. Yuck. I have a hunch, though, that I'm not alone. And that is why I invited my friend and expert Jill McCormick on the show today to help us understand the dangers of the two C's, comparison and inner critic, and then to provide some practical strategies for overcoming them. Jill is an author, a speaker, a wife and a mom, and she is a grace warrior. Her wisdom will empower you to grab hold of God's grace and walk forward in God confidence. Welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Before we begin, would it be all right if we just take a moment to pray? Absolutely. Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to hear Jill's story today. Will you send us your spirit to give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts that are open to learning and becoming more like you? Amen. Amen. Well, let's start with your story, Jill. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be an advocate for common sense grace? Absolutely. So I grew up in Houston, Texas. So that's a city of 4 million people. And I had awesome parents and an awesome little brother. And we, we all went to church together and it was so great. And I had, after I graduated from Texas A&M, I got such an amazing job. I was an event planner for the Houston Astros baseball club. So I was a woman working in this kind of elite club. You know, there are only 30 major league baseball teams in the country. And I was a part of that staff and I loved it, but I loved it for kind of the wrong reasons in the fact that I loved planning events, but I also loved the glamour and the glitz and just how impressed everyone was that I worked for this team. And I, um, it was a very dysfunctional kind of toxic environment. Um, it was a lot of work, 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 work to the point of burnout and exhaustion and, It was very much where I learned in my early 20s, you just have to do more and you have to try harder. So God in his goodness, I did not believe that at the time, but I believe it looking back, God in his goodness 
had my husband transferred to the town of Fort Smith, Arkansas, which you probably never heard of. It's a town of 80,000 people. So I went from a city of 4 million to a town of 80,000. I was back when we lived in Houston. I knew so many people. Um, I had lots of connections from years of living in that city. And then here I was, nobody knew me. It was very hard to make friends. Um, people had grown up there. You had roots firmly established. And I was floundering. I was floundering. And so God brought us to an incredible church where my husband and I connected to God-centered, Bible-based, theologically sound, really amazingly safe, awesome people. And I got a job that I loved and I thrived in and I made some really good friends. And so I was making this progress away from worldly standards and kind of living like everybody else did to living that set apart, sanctified life. And then I got pregnant with our first daughter and I thought, oh my goodness, it is so important to me that my daughter knows Jesus and grows up with two parents who love Jesus, who are fully committed to him and knows all about him. And so what changes in my life do I need to make to raise her up in the way she should go? And so it was because I was pregnant, you know, parenthood changes you. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta make some changes because I think there is nothing like parenthood to reveal how much of a sinner you are. (laughs) Like I thought (laughs) I was just, I had it all together and I had my plans and it was all going according to plan. (laughs) because I have self-discipline and willpower and I know best practices. And then you have a baby who poops on the way out to church. So you are late, who doesn't cooperate with your plans, who throws a temper tantrum at Chick-fil-A and all the other people look at you and shame and guilt and comparison start bringing themselves up to the surface. And for some of us, anger becomes a part of that. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I am like Paul. I am the the worst sinner of all the sinners. <laughs> I hadn't realized it until I had this brand new baby in my arms and things didn't go exactly how I planned. And I think all the parents in your audience are like, yes, we make these yes. great, grandiose plans and then life happens. So it's because I was brought so low from parenting that I was like, how do I bring grace into my real life? Like I say, I believe these things about Jesus, but how does that really intersect with my real life? How do I apply all these lofty principles into my real life? And I know you, you have very much the same mission. Like where do grace and God and my life collide and how does that look? So I know we have very similar passions in that. Absolutely. You know, I think just to help our listeners today who, you know, I think there's a variety of faith backgrounds. So let's just back up for a second to the word grace. And so when people hear us talking about grace today and being graceful to ourselves and being grace filled with our kids, what, like, could you give us a good working definition about what grace means to you and in your story? Yes. So the traditional, awesome, theologically sound definition of grace is that it is unmerited favor. 
like out of God's grace for us, he sent Jesus Christ. We did nothing to earn salvation. In fact, we were still sinners when Jesus came to the cross and died for us. There was nothing we did to earn this free gift. I think of it in my own life is that grace is favor toward me that understands my humanity and comes alongside me to work on my behalf. Because I Mm, think growing up, I thought that God was way up high. And when I made a mistake, he was like, well, man, you really messed up that time. And like, he was, he was disapproving of me and disappointed of me. Or if I didn't have my quiet time, he made a, a demerit tally in my book. And like, he was some, somehow I always felt like I was falling up short. And when I understood that grace is not only unmerited favor, but it's Jesus walking alongside me and God knowing I don't have all the power. I, Jill McCormick does not have all the wisdom. I don't have really anything I need to live out the kind of life that God has called me to live. Oh, okay. That's why I need Jesus to come alongside of me and to, um, to just help me. And I'm sorry that my computer made that sound. That was, that is totally fine. That's real life. And it, there, there is grace here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming alongside and understanding my humanity. (laughs) Oh girl, I got four kids. Nothing gives you more (laughs) grace for other people than having your own kids who require other people to give you grace. So that is parenting. I always say is the great humbler that, um, you have to be given grace, so much grace when you become a parent that it's, it's so much easier to give it away then because you've had to receive it and you understand, uh, what amazing grace then comes from the father when you are demonstrated grace that you don't deserve. So I love that. Thank you for that definition. I think that's good. And we'll kind of clarify for people who are listening, what we mean when we're talking about grace today. So now that we have that established as a foundation, and I know that we have listeners out there that are perfectionists or that just want to be doing their best. And sometimes even inadvertently, we have this first C come into play. We're going to talk about comparison and our inner critic. So let's start with comparison, which is basically pitting what we have against what other people have. And like I said, I think most of us engage in this game at some point or another, even if it's not on purpose. And we say things to ourselves like, well, she takes her kids to the park way more than I do. Or, well, he got promoted twice and I'm still in the same job. Or, wow, their house is better than ours. They're sure making good financial decisions. And it's these are just not innocent little commentaries that we have in our minds. So And that's one of the things I appreciate that you help clarify, Jill. Why is comparison such an enemy of grace, so to speak, and giving ourselves grace? And this whole idea of, you know, grace says it's okay. And God loves you right where you're at. But comparison is definitely an enemy of that. So can you just give us some reasons about why playing that comparison game is so dangerous? Yes. And I think... For me, comparison is a mind game that we play with ourselves, where we put ourselves up against other people as if there's going to be a winner and a loser in this imaginary contest. And we are both the judge 
and the defendant. It's like a binary game. There's a winner and a loser. We either are doing these things and we aren't. And because of that extreme nature of comparison, it really does hurt our hearts. And it hurts our hearts in six ways. Number one, it keeps your eyes off of how you can use your specific gifts to grow God's kingdom because you're so busy looking around at other people and thinking, why can't I do that? And so we totally dismiss the gifts and the passions and the excitement that we have for ourselves. The second thing is it sows disappointment and ingratitude. Like we have gifts and it's kind of like we're saying, thanks God, but the gift you gave me isn't good enough and it doesn't really count because it's not as awesome as her gift or as visible maybe as her gift. The third reason comparison is so dangerous is because it shatters connection and it fosters competition. So if I feel like I am in a competition with Aminta, well, I'm not gonna connect with you because now you're my opponent or my enemy or the other person. And so I'm not gonna connect with you because I'm trying to beat you Again, this imaginary game that no one but me is playing. You're not playing it with me. I'm just playing it with myself. And losing. (laughs) And losing. I've declared myself the loser. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the fourth reason comparison can be so dangerous to our hearts is that it perpetuates conformity. So if I see you and and you using your gifts and you doing what you do, and I think, well, that's what success looks like. It looks like copying what Aminta is doing. And really the only conformity we are ever called to have in the Bible is to conform to the image of Christ. We are not to conform to the image of other people and what they're doing. So that's a problem. The fifth reason is that comparison is dangerous because it dehumanizes the other person. So we forget the other person has a name. We forget the other person has a family and wounds and hurts and struggles and joys and good days and bad days because all we see is, well, she's winning and I'm not. And we we rarely even use that other person's name when we play that comparison game. And the final reason comparison is so hard on our hearts is that it breeds shame and inadequacy. So if I look at you and I say, man, Aminta has four kids, a nonprofit, a blog, a podcast, I'm not doing half of that. Well, all of a sudden I feel like what's wrong with me? Why can't I get it together? Why can't I figure this out? And then I start feeling ashamed of what I am doing. And it just brings me into this negative downward spiral that's really hard to get out of. So comparison is is not good. It is not our friend and our enemy uses it to isolate us and to keep us apart um, from connection with each other. Absolutely. Thank you. I think that is maybe the most precise, clear-cut, awesome presentation of why comparison is not a game we want to play that I have heard. So thank you. That's so helpful. And, you know, as I listen to those, I, I could... I can just shake my head up and down and know that, man, at one point or another, I have let myself play each and every one of those games and can see how it did stop me from being effective and from walking forward in my faith. And clearly that's not what I want to happen for me or for anyone else. And so how does grace change the game here? What are three grace truths 
for knocking out comparison when it comes into the ring. So when we identify that we are, whoops, playing the comparison game, what are, what does grace do to change, to change this game for us? Well, I think grace reminds us of three things. One is that you don't need to compare. You are, you are God's kid. You're God's son. You are God's daughter and you will not be messed with. And I think when we say, I am opting out of this game, we, we knock our enemy flat on his back because we refuse to engage. And so we don't need to compare. And I think part of that is because I believe Paul says it in Colossians, you, y'all, y'all can correct me. Um, but he talks about how we are God's masterpieces and we are his poems. And so if you are an original work of art, if we just think of an art gallery and you see the Mona Lisa, it would be ridiculous to compare the Mona Lisa to a Picasso painting. They are so different. They, they're apples and oranges from each other. And God has crafted and written our faith journeys and our stories so uniquely. It is ridiculous to compare our story with someone else. So that is one truth to remember. The second truth is you don't have to play the game. You don't have to play it because God has given you a unique circle of influence, a unique set of talents, unique passions and purposes that only you can fulfill. And friends, I believe this as our world gets really dark, that our light shines and that we are called to live out our gifts for such a time as this. We do not have time to play the comparison game because our world needs exactly what you are uniquely created to offer. So please offer that out into the world because the world needs to hear the message of Jesus live out in your life. And that brings us to the third point, which is it is comparison is a waste of time because you have kingdom building work to do. So God gave you unique gifts and talents that will encourage, edify, teach, train up, other Christians who are coming alongside of you, other people who know Jesus and who want to follow them, whether those are your children at home, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in your neighborhood, wherever it might be, God wants you. He doesn't need you. God has no needs. He is all sufficient. He does not need us, but he invites us in to shine our light. And what I love, it says in Matthew chapter five, verses 14 through 16, Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he says, when you shine your light, other people see your good work and they praise the father. So when you are doing what you are gifted to do, the natural byproduct of that is people giving praise to God, not praise to you, praise yes. to God. And how amazing is that gift that we get to shine a light, only we can shine, to turn other people's attention to Christ. I love that we get to be a part of that, and I love that we get to shine our light. So I love that too. And I just think grace gives us the freedom to say, I am who I am and it's on purpose. And God says it's beautiful. And I'm going to do my work that I was sent here to do. And I'm not going to spend time feeling bad that I am not somebody else because God loves me and he calls me 
his child and I'm going to get some work done. So I love that grace gives us the freedom to rise up and say to comparison, stop. Yes. Stop. I do not have to play this game. So I think that that is awesome. Thank you. So let's move to the second C. Unless did you want it? Did you have something you wanted to come back to? Okay, great. So the second C is our inner critic. Jill, you said something on your site I thought was great. You said, our inner critic is the voice in our head that admonishes us when we find ourselves coming up short. And man, I can just relate to this. I am the queen of setting goals and I've never really (laughs) met a situation that I couldn't set a goal for. I mean, if if there is a situation, I can set a goal and I can achieve. But what that does is set me up for a lot of situations where I am not able to meet my goals. And then I have this voice in my head. That's always like, well, you should have done this and you could have done this. And, um, I know what you're capable of. So why aren't you achieving this? And so what are, what are some of the, the things that this inner critic says to us that just kind of render us useless? Yes. So the tricky part is to know that there's you And then there is your inner critic, but the inner critic sounds exactly the same as you do, but your inner critic has a really, her tone of voice, you know, as parents, our tone of voice impacts how our kids receive a certain message. Like we can say, pick up your plate in a really kind way. And it has, you know, gives them one message. And then we can say it in a really angry tone of voice and our kids pick up, oh man, I'm not messing with mom today. So our inner critic is her her tone of voice or his tone of voice, because both men and women can have really talkative inner critics. It's really harsh. It is condemning. And we know that Jesus convicts us of sin. We have the Holy Spirit within us who will convict us, but God never condemns us. And the difference is that condemnation has to do with you statements like you are a bad mom. You are not a good friend. You are failing at everything. Whereas conviction will sound something like, oh man, that's not who you are. You're my sweet girl. Come on. I'm with you. You, you and I together have got this. And so it's, there's a a drastic, drastic difference between the Holy Spirit's convicting voice and which is encouraging, even as it points out to you things that are sinful, whereas condemnation is a definite, this is who you are and who you are isn't good. And we're not pleased with you. So if you hear voices in your head or or thoughts scrolling through your mind that are things like, you should blank, blank, blank. Anytime I hear myself say should, I'm like, ding, ding, ding. That's my inner critic. That's not God. That's not Jill's regular voice. That is my inner critic. Or things like, why can't you be more fill in the blank? Or you're the worst friend, mom, husband, employee, fill in the blank. Those are those are types of phrases that our inner critic can use. Thank you. Yes, that's exactly exactly right. That the inner critic is condemning, but and how we know that that's not from God is that God will be convicting. But yes. there's hope attached to that. Yes. And so, thank you. I think that's a really good. Um, explanation to help people understand um, just exactly the difference. But you've come up with three core lies that our inner critic tries to sell to us and get us to believe. What are those three core lies? 
So the three lies I think the inner critic likes to talk the most to us are one, failure is not an option. So for those of us who love doing things perfectly or having a good image out in the world, that is really scary. And it can either push us into doing more and trying harder, or it can paralyze us. So that's one. The second is you've already failed. So give up. So let's say I... I'm making up this example. I would like to fit into a certain size of jeans by my birthday next year. And I say, I'm going to do all these things to to complete that goal. And then one day I slip up. Then my inner critic will say, you've already failed. You're never going to do it. Just give up. Don't worry about it. Why are you trying so hard? You're never going to do it. And so that's that, again, that condemning voice. You're never going to. That's not a good that's not a good phrase to hear. And the third is you'll never succeed. Like why bother? Just wave the white flag right now. And again, inner critic, just like comparison, not our friend, not for Not us. our friend. And all of those can render us um, completely useless. It can stop us because we're either so afraid we're going to fail or we already feel like we have failed so greatly that we don't move forward. And that's exactly what Satan wants because then we're not out doing good things for the kingdom. So how does God's grace help us to combat those lies? What does grace say in response to those lies? Well, one is that God's path for our life, the story he is writing in our life will include both success and failure. And I think it's hard for some of us, and if you could see me, I am pointing to myself right now. It is hard (laughs) for some of us to accept that we are not perfect, we will not execute things perfectly, and that only God is perfect. So remembering that only God is 100% complete and in control and sovereign helps us work through those things. And God is perfect. We are not God And I am super grateful for that. And there is room in God's kingdom for both your successes and your quote unquote failures. And God is equally present in the success as he is in the failure. And both count in his kingdom because I believe what counts the most is that faithful obedience. Just asking him, how can I obey you in this moment and then doing that thing? And then if we ask him, how can I obey you in this moment? And he tells us and we don't do it, then What success looks like in that moment is turning back to him and repenting and say, God, I did not speak in a gentle tone of voice, and that was unkind. Will you please forgive me? And then asking forgiveness of that other person. So I think in God's kingdom, success looks like following him. And then when we don't, when we stray because we are people and we stray, that we always turn back to him. Always, always, always we turn back to Christ. The second way that God's grace helps us combat these lies is that God calls us to trust him and not to despair. And I like to think I'm pretty optimistic, but there are times when I just feel so defeated or I just feel like I'm not good enough and I never will be good enough. But God calls us in those moments to trust him, even when we don't finish the checklist Even when we feel like we have failed and we're not doing enough, 
He is more interested in conforming us into the image of his son than he is for us to complete a task or to go through the motions of doing a certain thing. He just wants us to trust him. And the great news is he is trustworthy. So we can fully put all of our weight of all of who we are, all of our mistakes, all of our cares. God can handle the weight of that. And then the third way God's grace helps us combat these inner critic lies is that he never leaves us. There is not one moment he is not with us. He is, again, equally present in our joys and our failures and our successes. And I think what it boils down to for me and perhaps many of your listeners is that we know these things. We've heard them either in church or on a podcast or in a a devotional or a Bible study. And we know God loves me and God gave me gifts and God is trustworthy. And we've heard all of these things, but that truth is not trickling down from our head to our heart. And I think at some point we just have to say, I choose to believe. I have a choice to believe my inner critic's voice. I have a choice to play the comparison game or I can choose to believe the voice of the God who loved me, who made me, and who holds all things together. And I can opt out of that comparison game. But it is a choice. And some, and it's not a one, one time fits all choice. It's yes. like hourly in my life sometimes. I'm like, I don't get this, but I'm choosing to trust you. I don't know why she got this thing and I didn't, but I choose to trust you. And we have to believe he sees the whole picture and we see one part and there's no way we can see the whole picture. Because I know, Aminta, in your life as well, you can look back at things that were really hard and when you're living it out, it's like, why is this happening? I don't understand. This is too hard. This is unfair. I don't get it. And then when when we have that wisdom of distance and that experience behind us, we can say, oh, now I see. Now I see. But we can't see it when we're living it. So Absolutely. And I think there's so much power in taking all of that and saying the enemy is trying to stop us and he's using the two C's comparison and our inner critic to try to shut us down, but we don't have to buy into it. There is another way and it's called grace and it's accepting who God says we are in him. But in order to do that, we have to know his truth. We have to be in his word. We have to be aware of what all these tactics that we can use, all these truths we can use that are just found in the pages of the Bible. We have to know what those are so that in the situation, not only can we recognize, oh, whoops, I'm being critical or I'm comparing myself to other people. I'm going to stop because I know that isn't true. And now I'm going to replace that lie with the truth. And so I want to just mention, I think it's so important that we are in the words so that we know the truth, so that when we hear the lie of you're not good enough, we can say, you know what? That's not true. Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made and God knew every day of my life before I was even born. So I know that I am enough for whatever he has for me. And I'm not going to listen to that. Yes. But I think what's so great about your message and what you're saying is that it brings an awareness that I didn't have until 
a lot later in life that I didn't realize I didn't have to listen to that voice. I didn't didn't realize that that voice was lying to me and trying to stop me. I just heard that voice with regular minta and thought, and, and I would let it shut me down. And so I think there's this awareness and this empowerment that comes from recognizing, hey, comparison and your inner critic, they're lying to you and they don't want what's best for you. And you actually don't have to listen to that. You can stop it and you can replace it with truth. Yes. And I love that that's what you are, what you bring to the arena and what grace brings to the arena is that man, God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see, he doesn't compare you to anyone. He's, he doesn't criticize you. He sees you as his child and he loves you. And if he feels that way about you, then we can feel that way about ourselves in him. And, And I just love that. So replacing the negative thoughts with the power of God's truth, and we can conquer the game of comparison and the game of our inner critic. So one of the things I love, this is super practical, but you have a free five-day inner critic challenge. Can you tell our listeners about that? Yes. So for five days in a row, I email those who have said, yes, please send that to me a little audio clip. I believe each day is less than five minutes long. So you can listen to it in the car on a short run as you're unloading the dishwasher. But I walk through so many of the things that we talk about today. For example, I talk about on one day, it's like, okay, let's be a detective here and let's figure out, like you said, Minta, about what are the what are the thoughts scrolling around in my head? Because I think we so easily just accept all the thoughts we have is true. And we get so many thoughts in a day. And so we just accept them. And how, what are the phrases we are continually saying to ourselves that are not true? So that's one day, another day we identify what our triggers are. So, you know, when my girls are crying for, you know, I didn't let them have ice cream. I can, in my mind, my mind is telling me you're a bad mom. A bad mom would be a good mom would be more fun. And a good mom would enjoy the ice cream. Why are you doing this? And to say, oh, that's one of my triggers. When my girls seem upset or frustrated with me, that is one of my triggers where the devil gets a foothold and I start thinking really negative thoughts. And another day we talk about how can we reflect on what God says about us as true? How can we replace the lies we're hearing? We don't want to just weed them out. We want to weed them out and then replace them with truth. So what are some truths we can remind ourselves of? And then how can we redirect those thoughts? And then how can we limit our intake of all these voices coming into our head? How can we lower the volume on our inner critic? So it's five days. It's really short. It's really sweet because I am a woman on the move. And I know a lot of your listeners, they are busy, busy, busy people doing lots and lots of really good things. And so it's very short, very sweet and totally free. I love it. And um, before we give them all the information about how to find that, I just want to say, I think there's so much power because learning to overcome these two C's and to not play the game does take, it takes a little bit of effort. You have to be intentional, um, to, to learn, to, to move past it. And this is such a wonderful opportunity to do it with some 
accountability and community and to have someone helping you and cheering for you and to help you be take time, even just five minutes a day to be intentional about learning to work through this. I think what an awesome opportunity for people who are really struggling with this or feel like they have a kid struggling with this. Um, what a great opportunity to just say, Hey, I've got five minutes a day for five days to help try to move past this. This is so great. So how can, how can they find you? Where can they sign up to do this inner critic challenge? Sure. So one way, and I know this will be in the show notes. So if you're out and about driving the car, please don't try to write this down. But if you go to bit.le slash inner critic 2018 challenge, yes, I know it's 2019, but it still works. It'll still get you there. Or yes. you can just email me directly at info at jillemccormick.com. And all you have to do is put in the subject line, inner critic, and you're done. And I know what you want. And I will get you, I will get you that email series and it will be good to go. So either one of those ways. Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. Finally, I ask most of the people that are interview, do you have a favorite Bible verse or a verse that you live by? Oh my goodness. I have so many. I will <laughs> say that my favorite verse for right now is Psalm 23 verse one, which I guess most of your listeners know, which is the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I think as a wife and a mom and an entrepreneur and a writer and a speaker, I think all the time I lack everything. <laughs> When he says, I lack nothing, that is not true. I am lacking patience. I am lacking financial resources. I am lacking and I can list all the things I'm lacking. And so it's when I get to that point where I list all my deficiencies and all the ways I feel like I lack that I can turn to Jesus and I can say, I know you say I lack nothing, but that doesn't feel true to me today. Will you fill me up in all the ways I feel like I lack? And will you just let me rest in the truth that because you say it is true, I believe and I know 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 that I lack nothing. And so often my circumstances may not change, but man, my mindset and my heart posture totally change. So I think so many of us feel like we lack so much, which is from the comparison and the inner critic, but man, Jesus is our good shepherd. And we do, we truly do lack nothing. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Would you do all of us the honor of just praying as we close the show today and um, just lifting all of this up to Jesus? Absolutely. Dear God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for today. We are thankful for this podcast. We are thankful for each person listening today. And we know that you see them and you know them and you are just crazy about them. So God, if they feel like they lack everything today, if they feel like they are failing in all the ways that they don't measure up, that they are falling short, that they are letting people down, God, will you speak right now into their hearts how you see each individual person listening, that you are a God who is not a taskmaster, that you are a, not a disappointed dad looking from far away, but that you are an intimately involved father who is our good shepherd and who loves us so much. God, I just ask that these words that are the listeners heard today 
would sink deep into their bones that they were they will know that they are fully known and fully loved and fully seen and fully safe in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, Jill, thank you so much for being on the show with us today and talking about real life, common sense, grace, and just being such an encouragement. I, what an honor and a blessing to have you here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mint. I hope you were inspired by what you heard and that you were able to glean some practical next steps to help you run the race of faith. Living according to God's truth isn't easy, but it's so worth it. Let's do this faith journey together. I invite you to join us next time by subscribing to the Mint Podcast so that you don't miss an episode. As always, I love hearing from you. So please visit my website, amintageisler.com and leave me a comment, a prayer request, or a follow-up question, and I will get back to you. In addition, my site is full of resources that are practical and useful, like my blog, the newsletter, downloadable resources that are free, and opportunities to make a difference in the community. Don't forget to subscribe to my email list so that you can be notified when new materials and opportunities become available. Mint Podcasts are directed by Annie Ramirez and are technically directed by Logan Bush. We are a production of Reckless Abandoned Ministries, an organization that is insanely focused on loving God and loving others. We are passionate about helping to eliminate youth hunger and homelessness, and we invite you to join us in giving love away to those who need it most. If you want to support the work we do here on the Mint Podcast, you can like and share your favorite episodes with your friends, leave a review on the Apple Podcast app, or share a screenshot on Instagram or Facebook and link it up with the Mint website.